The Fight for the Bite is a relatively new campaign for many of us listening to this podcast uh, down under. But for those of you living in Norway or in Scandinavia, you've probably known about another campaign that's quite similar to that, which is going on against Equinor in Australia. And that has been the fight to protect Lofoten from oil drilling and exploration. Uh, this fight is one that has been decades in its uh, time span, and it's one that has recently resulted in what many are calling a victory for those who stood up and tried to stop this type of uh, fossil fuel extraction from taking place. Uh, the Labor Party in Norway recently withdrew its support or for such drilling in Lofoten, and this was a signal to everyone involved that they had in fact succeeded. Ingrid Skorveyer, probably just pronounced her last name incorrectly, but she's a lovely woman who was involved in that campaign for many years. Um, she's been participating in some of the panel discussions up here in Oslo around the Fight for the Bike campaign, sharing her story of success and uh, generally providing a lot of optimism for everyone here that it can be done. So I thought it was super important to sit down with her and have a chat about the experience for her, what it is that mattered in their campaign and how she thinks that the Fight for the Bike can be successful. Enjoy. So the fight for the bike continues and it's always nice with any campaign if you can find people who've shared a similar journey before and uh, may have some insights to share with others about how to, how to get a victory. And uh, very recently in Norway, there's been some good news for a particular challenge up north where many of the surfers who listen to this podcast will be familiar with a place called Lufulten. And um, I have the, the pleasure today to talk with someone who was involved in the campaign to uh, protect the Lofoten Islands uh, from oil drilling. And uh, I now welcome to this special podcast series, Ingrid Schwalweyer? No, did I ruin it? So who are we speaking to? Introduce yourself to the audience. So my name is Ingrid Schwalweyer. Ah, that's pretty um, close. Uh, that was pretty close. Yeah, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for inviting me to uh, speak in your podcast. Um, Pleasure. Uh, I work as deputy chair of Folkaksjon Oljefrik Lofoten, Vesterålen og Senja, yep. which basically translates to People's Action for an Oil-Free Lofoten, Vesterålen and Senja. Yep. And we work to protect one of the world's most unique marine areas, mm. uh, which is situated just off the coast of northern Norway. Yeah. Uh, it's a really unique area where you can come to surf mm. and some great waves, <laughs> yes. but also it's really, really important for uh, a lot of the um, marine mammals mm. and a lot of the fish that mm. we depend on here in Norway. Yeah. It's one of our biggest exports, yeah. apart from oil. Yeah. Um, so this April we actually managed to get the majority uh, of the Norwegian parties to say yes to an oil-free Lofoten. Yeah. And it's uh, being said to be one of the biggest environmental victories that we had in Norway. Yeah. Ever. Ever, right? Yeah. So this is a big deal, and this is where the parallels come in between the fight for the bite and obviously what happened, what has been achieved in Lofoten. Um, as you've seen, that you know, there's many Australians who have been paddling out and protesting and becoming quite active um, in response to Equinor's plans to explore and drill for oil in the Great Australian Bight. Um, your experiences, let's let's just, I'm trying to maybe take a step back and how, because many people are trying to get involved in this issue and are probably looking for, you know, ideally good examples of success, but also the how of like, how do I get involved? Um, 
you were part of a successful campaign. How did you originally get involved in this campaign yourself? Um, I was really, really young when I started. Mm -hmm. uh, here in Norway, we had an organization, environmental organization for young people called Natur Ungdom, yeah. uh, Nature and Youth. Yep. And when I was 13, I decided to become a member. Okay. Initially to provoke my dad, but okay. uh, then after a few years, it became like the issue of oil drilling in Vesterholm, yeah. um, uh, like the neighboring island to Lofoten. Yeah. Uh, where I grew up, uh, oil drilling became a really big issue and people yeah. started to protest against it. And yeah. I was 15 and I just thought I have to be part of this okay. uh, battle. Yeah. So I started a local group together with my friends and we gathered up a lot of young pe people from the area. Yeah. And we were just one of quite a lot of groups that started to rise against this project. Yeah. Um, uh, other environmental NGOs also started working against this project and uh, after a while we created this national organization to yeah. work with this issue in particular. Yeah, um, I know that in, in Australia the Fight for the Bite Alliance has kind of formed and I think it's a similar yeah. kind of formation maybe to our, how um, folks actually Oh yeah, there's my coffee. Cool. Um, I'll get that in a second. Um, but, but so this is a similar type of organisation <coughs> that has been formed. But yeah. is that a hard thing to do in your experience? Like, do you remember that were there challenges of actually bringing together the different environmental groups and things like that? Like, was that hard? Um, so it's really, I think it's really interesting to yeah. see how uh, the. Your alliance yeah. and our organization has these similarities yeah. in the way, the approach to working with the two issues. Exactly. And I think the reason why I wanted to start a specific group that worked only with this issue was so that we could unite people who had different, yeah. came from different places, had different kinds of approaches to the issue and still yeah. work together. So when we work together in the people's action, we we like we try to like lay aside any uh, policy we have from other organizations yeah. and just agree on one com common strategy for the organization okay. so was that hard i think it was like it was a bit hard because yeah. people had of course different opinions on how yeah. to best organize the whole thing but um in our fight we have been working not only with that group of mm. people, but we have also brought in the different political parties and yeah. the groups as well. So for me, for example, I have, I have been a part of both uh, Nature and Youth and Folkaktion and worked on both sides, mm. so to say. So. Yeah. And when it, when it came to kind of um, advancing, because this has been a very long journey, right, with Folkaktion, I mean, how, can you kind of walk walk the listener through like what, what what was the real starting point in time, and then what were some of the actions that led to the the end result that were important? Could you maybe give us a bit of a timeline and a quick history lesson? <laughs> I'll try my yeah. best. It's been do your best. Like, it's been some decades. Yeah, yeah. And when I came in in 2008, yeah, a lot of people had already been working with this issue since the 90s. Wow. But it really like it started to build up around 2007, 2008, 2009. Yeah. And in 2009, we we created the Folk Auction. Okay. And uh, before that, it on, had only been like 
individuals yeah. and other NGOs that have been interested in trying to like col collaborate together. Yeah. And now they decided that we need a we need a, like a joint platform to yeah. work together on this issue. Yeah. So um, the government and Equinor was really pushing to open the area for drilling yeah. and um, the government they decided that we should um, create a management plan for the area uh -huh. uh, to see what kinds of industries we should apply to okay. that. And it's sort of a, um, a framework that is used quite often for the marine areas of Norway to like classify them for okay. different purposes. So yeah. you could say like in this area we should have these kinds of fisheries yeah. and drilling, yeah. for example. Uh, so we were really working for them not to say that Lofoten area should be classified as an yeah. area for oil so they So just to clarify, they put it on <coughs> you as an organisation or to say develop an action? No. Okay. Uh, no. Uh, there was a, they started the process in Parliament. Uh -huh. okay. They said to the government, yeah. Parliament said to government you need to develop uh, a pr okay. proposition for how this area should be developed. Okay. And then uh, how it works is that all relevant groups, yeah. um, oil companies, NGOs, they have a saying. In all this, the different so stakeholders. Can, yeah. Yep. They can come with their opinions. Yeah, sure. This process. So we worked quite a lot uh, to get this political document to rule in our favor. Yeah. And in 2011, it did. Mm. And they basically said. There should, shouldn't be any drilling in this area yeah, until right. the next parliament period, okay. which, which was in 2000. And that was the moratorium that was achieved? Yeah. Okay. And there have been several moratoriums like this happening okay. for short amounts of time, like between two and four years. Yeah. And they said like until 2013 there shouldn't happen anything. Yeah. And then in 2013 we had to take the fight once more. Yeah. And the new government it consisted of um, one big party, which was the Conservatives, mm. and two smaller parties, and mm. they were supporting us, the uh -huh. smaller ones. And they made sure that the government wow. said new moratorium on the area. Okay. And then the same thing happened in 2017, yeah. new moratorium with the Conservatives. And, and then... Um, the problem has always been that the smaller parties have been blocking this, but the bigger parties have always been really in favor of drilling. So sure. the situation has always been we had to do this every four year, yeah. new fight, mobilize all the, the people. The interesting there. thing maybe, as maybe for Australian <coughs> members uh, to, who might be hearing this, because many are tuning in about this kind of campaign, the political system, there are like a lot of small parties in the parliament, right? So these governments are never really one party governments. They're always uh, minority governments, yeah. right? Which is a funny thing because I know in Australia it's quite, it's kind of rare to have a minority government. Um, it's more likely that one party will just kind of have control. Yeah. It's changing a lot, but, um, and maybe Australia is on the way to becoming more fragmented. But the, and what you're saying, I guess, is that this, this is a good thing because these minor parties were able to put pressure on the big ones. Yeah, it's, um, we have had both minority and majority governments, yeah. but the thing is that 
the governments they always want to be in majority and to, to achieve this they have to take on the smaller parties yeah, on board exactly and this it creates this really interesting dynamics where we have been able to push through more environmental policies yeah. than like the actual numbers yeah. tell us that we should yeah so <coughs> then the government that we have right now it's a majority government but yeah. it's still in in theory, should be in favor of drilling. Yeah, okay. But the smaller parties have, again, stopped it. Okay. Um, and this year, we, the unique thing we did was that we managed to get one of the larger parties, the largest one, yes. the Labour Party in Norway, to say no to drilling in the yeah. area. And we have been trying to get them to do this since 2009. Yeah. We have been standing, like my first, Nonviolent direct action was standing outside their AGM in 2009. Yeah. And we have been doing that in 2013, 2015, yeah. 2017, crazy. and now 2019. So it's a 10 year journey for yeah. you personally. Yeah. That's crazy. So, like when we won it, it was like this amazing moment. It mm. came like out of the blue. Yeah. Like we knew that it would happen sometimes during that day. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Then they suddenly say they are voting to protect Lofoten. And it was surreal, and people were just hugging each other, hundreds of people crying and yeah. being so excited. Wow. So it's like, it's really tiring running yeah. a marathon, right? <laughs> <laughs> and when you win, it's yeah, the most you amazing. Collapse. Yeah, you collapse, it's the most amazing feeling. And I got the, this flu that you yeah. can hear yeah. still. <laughs> still recovering. Yeah. And so that feeling of kind of success, it's obviously overwhelming. But um, along the way, was there, is there any kind of like key learnings that you can point to about like what what was important for that for the organisation over time? Like what are the key things that like that you focused on that really made a difference in your opinion? Um, I tried to, to think what was like the wisest things that we did because we have gotten a lot of credit people saying like this is one of the most yeah. successful lobbying operations yeah. that have been done by an NGO ever. Yeah. And I think like the result was obviously that we made it politically impossible for any party in parliament to open the area. Even yeah. the ones that were really for yeah. oil because like they saw it as really unpopular with the people. Yeah. And I think if I should start with something it's that because okay. we made it like we did a really extensive job to enlighten people all across the country, not only in the area, but all across the country about yeah. the issue. Um, we we made sure that this was like the on top of people's agenda when they thought of an environmental issue yeah. in Norway, they thought of this one. Yeah. So we did a lot of work to try and uncomplicated so it was easy for people to understand the issue. So on that question then, or there's two parts there isn't there, there was the you managed to get the message out to everyone and educate like all of Norway on this issue and then to make the issue not so complicated. How did you do the first one? Like what, what was your strategy for actually getting the awareness out in such a good way? Um, we had amazing allies in the NGOs that we were working with in construction. Okay. So uh, there are several organizations in Norway that have lo local groups all across the country. And I don't okay. know how this is, if you have anything similar in Australia, but 
it's really common that NGOs are lo organized in these local groups. Yeah. So they would, for example, go to schools or they would have okay. public meetings where they would just like educate pupils yeah. or just a regular Joe about what's happening in environmental issues yeah, in okay. way. So that's like a continuous job. Yeah. Um, but we also worked a lot with media. Uh -huh. We uh, uh, taught people how to write to newspapers. And you helped them write to newspapers? We, or you helped, taught them? we helped them and we taught them. Yeah, so okay, we could make like examples on what they could write. Okay, and we that would get it into the paper, like how to yeah. do a good press release basically. Yeah. Yeah, cool. We have this like concept of you could write a short text about your opinion on a specific issue and newspapers, they will print it. Uh-huh. Um, that might be like a national specific thing. But yeah, but that's interesting. Yeah, that's and really of course, like social media campaigns. Yeah. And we had have also had this one or two activities that we have been doing every year. So yeah. we have um, been walking in the parades on National, on Labor on Day. National Day, yeah, or Labor Day, yeah. Labor Day. We have this um, like lighting of the beacons, yeah. like to sign danger that we do every day, okay. every year. It's like, I guess it could be compared to your paddle outs in mm. terms of being something that can involve and mobilize people all yeah. across the country. Okay. So, a really continuous job to try and inform people yeah. and to get them to take a stand because in the beginning, a lot of people said. I don't know what to think about this issue. Yeah, and, and this is where the decomplication of the issue comes in, right? So, yeah. you, I mean, did you, how did you, what did you reduce? Is it a reductive process in terms of making the issue of oil drilling understandable to everyone? Is that what it actually is? Like, yes. So what, it, what were the essential parts then that you had to reduce it down to? Yeah, we had to, we had to do a lot of uncomplicating the issue yeah. because one of the strategies that uh, the oil lobby does is that they try to overcomplicate the issue. They try yeah. to use words that are hard for people to understand what it yeah. really means. So, for sure. example, to start an oil, oil exploration plan in Norway, yeah. they call it um, uh, consequence assessment. Yep. And they would they would run their own campaign saying, "Are you asking people? Are you for or against?" Uh, this assessment, okay. and people would say, "Yes, it sounds like a good." It's a good idea. It's a good idea to check out this yeah, assessment. Yeah, sure. When the yeah, the truth is that that's the first step of opening for uh -huh. oil exploration. So it's a bit of a trick. Yeah, it's a trick. Okay. So we would, for example, say instead of like knowledge assessment, we would call it opening process, and we would like continuously. Redefine what redes they're doing. Re redefine the words Aha. to uncomplicate them. Interesting. Um, yeah. Interesting. Because if people understood that this was the beginning of making this, yeah. this drilling possible, they actually have a different response. Yeah. That's really interesting. And like, since we started, the newspapers have done a lot of like service asking people what they think about drilling in the area. Yeah. So we have seen this trend of more and more people being on our side. Yeah. And the people who said, I don't know, yeah. that group has become smaller. So that's a clear sign that we have made made it more understandable for more people and more relatable so that they can take a stand. Yeah. And I think like 
that's important. Like that group of people saying, I don't know, that's the group you can really influence. Because it's different to say, I don't know, as opposed to, I don't care. Yeah. A lot of those I don't know are people who do care about this issue. They just don't really understand how to get yeah. involved with it. Is it an interesting aspect of, of well as well to like, I, I, um, I know when I did my, one of my first ever kind of actions socially or environmentally, it was like a big step for me, like on an individual level to like put myself out there and yeah. to stand in a march and wave a flag, you know, like it's kind of an intense thing to do, I think as a human, like, did you find that it was, um, was it easy for Norwegians to step out in, and be public about this kind of thing? Or is it something that's still like, pe people are held back more so, like by their inhibitions, if yeah. you know what I mean? It's, it's all, I think it's always been like, like you're saying, it's been a bit like people, not all people can identify yeah. with those means that yeah. the movement uses. Yeah. Uh, so we had this strategy of always being really positive in okay. our messaging. So instead of saying no to oil, we're saying yes to an oil-free Lofoten, okay. for example. Or when we are doing activities, we try to do like both. So we have for example, just like we had concerts, uh -huh. um, which would have this political messaging, yeah. but, but would, which would also just be trying to gather people in a social setting yeah. and making the entry to joining the movement a bit yeah. easier for them. Okay. Um, but there's always been a lot of, just like this year, a lot of the people who has been active in Folkhochschulen for many years, yeah. they went to their first action yeah it was like it was not it was legal and everything but it was just a bit uh, hard for them to to relate to using that yeah. kind of stuff. and is it also hard as well because of the nature of the enemy for lack of a better word here like because was it Equinor as well that was looking to drill in Lufoten was it the same company that's wanting to drill in the Great Australian Bight or was it other companies um, the situation was a bit different yeah. because um, in the beginning, Equinor was the f the, um, the most yeah. active promoter of yeah, drilling yeah, in yeah. the area yeah. because they have two inactive licenses there, uh -huh. which they got in the 90s. Um, okay. um, they tried to drill there, we didn't find anything. Yeah. But I think after a while, um, they sort of toned down their effort to the public uh -huh. and there's this lobbying organization for the oil industry in Norway uh -huh. it's called Norwegian Oil and Gas Association. Sounds about right. Uh, and <laughs> they have been like promoting it okay. on behalf of oil, all the companies okay. and the industry okay. as a whole. Um, so they have been like sort of an enemy for us but we haven't really tried to use that much time to influence them. Okay. Our focus has always been on the political parties because we've, we've seen that they are the ones trying, like, making the decision here. And that's eventually so, what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but of course the oil industry is really powerful. Yeah. Um, they employ so many people, so yeah. in terms of influencing the Labour Party, for example, yeah. they hard. have really much power there. Yeah. So they have been really important, mm. but we haven't like we had have have gone head to head with them, but we haven't 
we haven't like targeted them as the ones we should influence. Yeah. We should more like yeah. try and take them out in debates and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But with the people, I guess, well, like the question maybe was more about with the individuals getting involved. Mm. Is it um, was it hard for them because it was this oil industry that has like they've probably got family members who are employed by it or whatever like it's very close to home for most Norwegians yeah um, was that a ch challenge for people to overcome to kind of fight against the thing that kind of has supported them yeah is I that a hard thing I think for some people yeah yes it's like you say um, most people know someone yeah in, in their family or friend or anyone who works in the oil industry and some of them people can see it as a direct mm. attack on their job. Yeah. So we, we have all, like, I don't know if we succeeded with that in particular, but we okay. also always try to say it's, we're not, like, our organization is not working to take down the whole, whole oil industry in Norway. We're working with this area in particular. Yeah. And yeah. then other NGOs, of course have been working with a more like broader yeah, sure. perspective. So I don't know how much um, people believe it when we say this, but sure. maybe it makes it easier for people to join. If they know totally about that specific yeah. site. And we have, like there's been this organization starting up with oil workers promoting an oil-free Arctic, for example. Okay. So there's different initiatives being taken to like to change this narrative yeah. of, yeah. Interesting, interesting. With the um, with the fight for the bite and looking at that particular campaign, you know, you've you've had a chance, I guess, to see a fair bit of what's happening uh, in Australia. And I mean, do you think? I mean, as someone who's been uh, campaigning in Lufthansa and, and having success, and you know, having a lot of experience in this, have you, looking at what the Australian kind of approach is here, do you see any gaps in what's happening? Is there any advice that you have for it, or do you think that they're basically doing everything that can be done? Um, I find it a bit hard to like pinpoint stuff that yeah. you're, I think you're doing wrong yeah. because I, I'm not uh, too familiar with the political system in yeah. Australia, for example. I got you know, like a small impression of yeah. how it's working, sure. but um, if I'm to start with the things I'm, I'm seeing that you're doing right, yeah. I would say that it's like you're really, I feel that you've been really good at building grassroots movements yeah. so far, and also in involving local people. Yeah. Uh, the first person I spoke to about this issue was a local fisherman from yeah. the Bight. Yeah. And I just thought that that was really like the correct way to approach the situation, yeah. not just sending like a professional environmentalist to yeah. talk about the issue, but finding like always having the support of the local people. Yeah. And I think that's really key. Yeah. Um, to make it an issue for everyone. Mm. And I also think that a lot of people here in Norway have heard about your case and I think that's a good sign yeah. that people understand the case. Yeah. A lot of international media have picked up on it yeah. and are writing cases about yeah, it. Yeah, so, it's really blowing up. Yeah. So I hope that the international pressure is being felt both by Equinor but also that yeah. the people in the bite are feeling the support coming in. Yeah. I think because um, we you know we're recording this the day after the paddle out. Um, and that was quite a, I mean, in your opinion, as a, as a campaigner in Norway, as how did that people. rate? Yeah, like, was yeah. that a good showing, in your opinion? I was really many people, I okay. think. Like, both because there's not many people who are 
surfers yeah. or surfing at all yeah, sure, <laughs> in sure, Norway. Sure. Uh, so gathering more than 100 people out on the water on a Sunday. Yeah, pretty good, huh? I think it was awesome. I yeah. was like, I was a bit scared, yeah. not because I didn't have faith, yeah. but just because people can be so like they say that they're coming but are they yeah, really yeah, coming yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. one thing was the people out on the water but also there was like it was packed yeah it was along the shore as well yeah. mm. so i felt really proud that people felt the need to come there and show their support that's cool so nice to see yeah and i think it meant a lot to australians yeah. as well who who have um you know, who have been kind of out in force to raise awareness about this issue and protest against it. And then to see, I think there might have been a misconception for many of them that Norwegians didn't care about this issue because it was their company. But I think it's quite evident, like, you know, now from being in Oslo and talking yeah. to you and other people involved, it, it's it's a global community that's concerned about these projects. Um, I think it's um, it was really encouraging to see so many Norwegians turn up and to, to show that they do care about yeah. uh, what Equinor does elsewhere as well. Yeah, and Norwegians, for any matter, they care a lot about what, what's being said yeah. about Norwegian companies yeah. and about Norway yeah. abroad. So I think it's a really good approach that I yeah. saw that a lot of people had commented on this like Norwegian Instagram yeah, yeah, pictures yeah. from Norway. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I think, Do you think like, that's a good strategy, yeah, by the way? I think it's a good strategy. Like, but at the same time, I think you need to be a bit specific on yeah. who has the responsibility to change. Yeah, sure. But I think it's a good strategy to be cheeky. Yeah, if that was cheeky. If you have the facts yeah. to back it up, yeah. then just go ahead. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What's your final kind of piece of, or maybe your final kind of word of advice, or maybe call it like a message of inspiration or encouragement for the for the people in Australia or anywhere else who are, who, who are kind of worried about a type of development like this or, because there's so many of them around the world. Yeah. And, and people, you know, with this podcast at least, you know, the majority of people who listen to this are, you know, in Sweden or Norway, or the US as well, actually, we've got a lot of listeners there. Um, what's your kind of message to them as someone who has worked on a successful campaign to stop a pretty big thing from happening? What's your words to kind of share with them, to finish up? <laughs> uh, I'm not asking for like a Martin Luther King speech, but you know, what are, you, what are some of your practical words? I think like when we started fighting for the Foton, many people said like, big oil will come and get you anyway. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter. They will come and get us yeah. anyway. And then as time has passed, people have stopped saying that. Mm. And then this year we won. Mm. So I think like my big, learning or learning of the movement is that time is really working in our favor mm. what has happened just this past year with school strikes and mm. um, uh, with everything like i'm uh, seeing so many things that are backing up your fight mm. i hope that like our win will be inspirational and will also help to shift people's mind on this mm. and thinking like we can win this it can happen yeah so I think we just, as a movement, we just need to be persistent and I'm, I'm very sure that you will win. I, I, I can't see why Equinor should go through with this project and just keep doing what you're doing and we will do our best to support your efforts and 
as a movement I've seen like if you just give people the opportunity to contribute in their own way they will contribute and uh, yeah sounds pretty good to me thanks for joining me for the podcast thank you for all your efforts and I think on behalf of everyone listening to this um, down under and, and anywhere else like thanks for your support and um, providing a good inspiration for the kind of successful model that, that can be adopted. So let's see what happens next. Thank you. Good <laughs> luck. <laughs> well, optimism matters when you're uh, taking a fight to such a big giant like Equinor. So a huge thank you to Ingrid for her uh, kind words and, and words of inspiration and optimism. Uh, there was a lot to take in from that podcast episode, but one of the key things for me, uh, in doing that interview was that, you know, this whole idea of just enabling as many people as possible to contribute in the way that they can as individuals is like one of the key aspects, at least that I felt Ingrid highlighted for any kind of successful campaign. So to anyone listening, you know, some of you may like to paddle out. Some of you may like to write. I like to podcast. So we all have our own unique skills and abilities. And I think the key message for me out of all of this was that, uh, just do what you do best and direct it towards the cause. That's how you can really contribute to something like uh, the fight for the bite. So thanks again to everyone involved in this podcast series. Thank you again to Patagonia for supporting it. Thanks to everyone who've made the journey over to Norway to fight for it. And, uh, you know, we, we just had the paddle out in Oslo the other day and it was it was ridiculously packed. So thanks to everyone who turned up to that. We all appreciated it and uh, and you should feel proud. Thanks a lot.